Welcome to Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we're going to be talking about six core wealth creation concepts that only top investors know and use. So, before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Asset Blocks, and I need to let you know that this is a disclaimer. Grant, myself, and the Asset Blocks team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personalized financial or investment advice. We're merely sharing our own experiences and opinions, but you should absolutely seek the help of professionals before acting on anything you hear in this podcast or on our brand. This episode is super important because it's one of those topics that very few people talk about, and I always look at it like the iceberg. The top 20% of the tip is what most people refer to when they think about these concepts. It's like make money, buy assets, etc. But what we want to do is we actually want to look at the foundational and supporting 80% that sits underneath the iceberg. And that's what we're going to be talking about today here on this Wealth Concepts episode. So, if you're an Australian business owner and has felt something's missing and you need some help, this episode is exactly what you should be looking forward to. So, if you want access to anything that we talk about, head over to assetblocks.com.au Click free resources and get access to everything that we discuss in these podcast episodes. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or share it with someone else on their wealth journey. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, I would argue that the core wealth concepts we're going to be talking today I wish that I knew it like a decade ago. So, why why are these concepts just not shouted from the mountaintops? They just said like, if you understand these fundamentals, like you're good. That is such a good question. I feel like today's episode could actually be like the day that changed my life. The days <laughs> that have changed my life, they're that important. And to the Book point, market. if I'd had known the concepts we're going to talk about today, I would have played the whole journey of wealth creation and really a lot of the parts of my life very, very different. Now, I love that question to lead things off, Grant. Like, why aren't more people talking about them? I'm going to go for the most important one here. I think a lot of people aren't aware they exist. I think yep. they uh, overlook these areas and think it's all about the tactic. So, for example, I see professionals in the marketplace today. I'm not knocking them specifically, but it's like it doesn't matter what you go, what age, what you do, if you're a business owner or not, they're going to sell your property or shares or crypto. Yep. Yep. So, they're very tactic-focused and all they really focus on is the returns of those tactics where I look at what has happened where it's become the standard. So, if you want to imagine, if we work back, if someone isn't aware of this and they're only selling tactics and then they train the next person up who's only selling tactics, who trains the next person up, things get lost down the road and these core concepts uh, go missing. The second one I think is a huge one here is it's hard to make money off these tactics. Correct. Very much it is. So, in the example I've just given you is like the person who sells a property makes money when they sell you a property. So, they're like how they win out of this relationship is by you buying a property. They don't win out of you knowing these concepts and I don't think they're taught anywhere very well for most business owners in this case to get this information. Yeah. And I also look at it from the other side, right? Like, I love watching like deep fiscal discussions on budgets, right? <laughs> but- I am the outsider to this. And so, a lot of the concepts we're going to be walking through can be quite complex. Like, I know you and I have had so many conversations around, well, how do we simplify this? How do we simplify this? How do we simplify this? So, a lot of these uh, sort of deeper, deeper, deeper concepts, a lot of people shy away from them through their own education because 
they go, oh, this quite this seems super complicated. I don't know if I'm ever going to understand them. And so, that's exactly what I'm down for walking through in this episode, which is like, how do we simplify this? How do we make people aware of it? But one thing that I do have to ask you, right? So, I go, well, we know this is important and everyone listening to this episode is going to be like, wow, this is the day that changed my life. How did you learn about some of these? Yeah, I'll talk about it from here. So, I'm very fortunate that Bianca, my partner, is an accountant and she was a financial planner at a point as well. And one of the people we followed a lot of with this was a guy called uh, Scott Pape, the barefoot investor. So, we've been exposed to certain uh, investing ideas and principles and I enjoyed quite a lot of his content, to be honest. I'm not knocking Scott at all. I think he does Did a fantastic it. job. I think he's helped a lot of Australians. Um, but... I was uh, in a Facebook group of all places and I saw a post explode like I've never, ever seen basically people arguing for and against Scott, right? People saying, well, I took his advice. It didn't work for me. I'm not, I'm not rich yet. And um, there was one little comment in there that said, hey, I think you should read uh, this book, which I'm sure we'll talk about more as the episode itself. Actually, I'll tell it now. It was a book called Debt Millionaire by a guy called George Antone, which I don't love the name of that book. I think it is uh, not – I think they did it to get people to buy the book, right? Correct. People to click on it. I don't think it's a good title for the book. It doesn't really <laughs> sum up in the same way. But this guy was like getting no traction on it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going I'm to read this just because it's an opposing view. I want to understand this in a different way. And I read that and the first line in the book was like where Robert Ke- Kiyosaki left off. And he was referring back to rich dad, poor dad. And he said that Robert's done a great job of making people aware of things like debt, but he didn't necessarily explain the concepts in that way. So that was the tipping point for me where it changed my whole view. And to be clear, it went from, I was going this way, scrapped all of that and said, we need to go over here and approach things this way. And from that one encounter across many years, completely reshaped how I think about the core concepts here. Yeah, and I'll piggyback off that. You were the one that actually got me onto the Debt Millionaire and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> this is this is the thing. The fundamentals that I'm sure potentially people like Robert Kiyosaki might understand and know and that's where he built sort of the tactics that he shares to people, but he just doesn't explore and it's probably just because it's not sexy, right? Com- like, I Completely agree. It's not sexy. Yeah. It's like- I'd highly recommend it though just while we're here. Like read Scott Pape's book, The Barefoot Investor, Read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad again. I know many business owners will uh, probably have read it already, but read it again. It's a very interesting read. And then read Debt Millionaire. Like have exposure to these things so you can be educated on it. I I agree. And make notes out of it. I always know that going back to books have really helped me out. And so jumping into concept number one, inflation, right? So I'm going to get you to kick this one off. You love talking about inflation. I can never get you to stop talking about (laughs) the concept of inflation. But- the fascinating part is there's, there's two really important parts of this. So, let us know like, what is inflation and let's dive into like the two key elements that we always look at. Yeah, there's, there's some great examples of this. Um, I'm going to use a very uh, obvious one is that uh, and I'm going to use my nana as the example here. Now, every time I go and uh, talk with my nan, right, she'll tell me stories from her youth and hopefully she hears this. And I have heard her say things like, I used to go to the fish and chip shop with 20 cents and feed the family. And we go there today and it's like, I don't even think $20 would feed a family today. Nope. Probably closer to 30 or 40 these days. Now, has the fish changed? Nope. Not at all. It's the same product. It just costs a lot more and the difference is time. 
And I think when a lot of people look at their own lives, uh, if they're you know old enough now, obviously the younger you are, the less you'll notice of this. But for me, I'm, I'm 33 at the moment. And I'm at this point now where I'm starting to get shocked a little bit. I go to like, um, for example, uh, if I was to go to the shops and want to buy something, I'm like, this used to be five bucks. <laughs> Dude, I, I reckon I say that on a weekly basis. <laughs> And so it's like, I'm really, I'm really starting to know. So the whole idea is that for the same good, okay, this is the whole concept here. What you paid for milk, two litres of milk, the same milk 10 years ago is more expensive today and that's inflation. That's what inflation is. And again, if you speak to your grandparents, if they're still here or your parents or people that are older than you, there's countless of examples of how most things, it's not all things, but most things go up over time um, at an annual rate. And that's what we kind of look at from there. Or they move kind of within that, but we kind of calculate it annually. So that's the idea from there. And I'll use one more example here just because actually I'll save this. No, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go there now. All right, go on. It's a funny story. It's a funny story. My nan again. Um, I remember asking my nan and she's lived in the same house for like ever. I mean, ever since I've known her my whole life. And um, I think longer than that as well. And I remember asking her the question. I'm like, nan, how much did you pay for this house? And um, she said (laughs) $9,000. And I'm like, what? I wish. <laughs> now, uh, this was quite a while ago, obviously. And if you were to look at that property today, it's probably worth over one and a half mil, maybe more now. I don't actually know, but I'd be closer to two mil. But the point being is like, yes, a huge component of that is the actual property value itself going up. But the other side of that is inflation. Yep. Like inflation is a key part of that. And um, that's a co- concept I would really love for people to understand here. Now, the thing that I like about inflation that makes it a little bit interesting, right? So, you've got the, f- the the rough inflation of things going up. I don't know. Say it's 5%. So, say in your milk example, every year, the price just went up 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, or in your nan's house example. The, the thing that I look at is, well, how does inflation work against me, right? And so, it's not that everybody is the same on this. So, I'll use an example going back to this bread and milk, right? So, living with my parents, you'd go and get your, your tip-top bread. And so, if for the rest of your life, you bought the tip-top bread and it went up and up and up and up and up, great. Like, you can understand that. However, now that I live with my wife, Hazel, she loves her health and fitness, my price of my bread has actually gone up substantially more because I get the whole meal, with the sourdough with the rye in it and all those kind of things. So, there's this concept of like, well, what's the inflation to me, right? Because my cost of living goes up each year, very different to your cost of living, right? And so, it's because the food that I eat can be slightly different. It could be more expensive, less expensive. It can go up and change year on year. But also, the easiest one for me to also relate to is I moved from Melbourne to Gold Coast. And so, now my living expenses have changed in rent, right? Because now it's two completely different locations, where you might have stayed in the same location for like your grandma, like decades, which means that now you're looking at a constant where I've got a significant variable. So, my rent goes up with inflation, but then also my personal situation changes the price it costs me each year on year on year. And I think this is one really different concept that people need to understand is that it's not the same for everybody. Not you, at all. Yeah. you The way that you spend dictates kind of your inflation. And I know the way that Hazel and I live and the things that we eat and where we rent and all these things. And because we rent, right, 
we don't have debt on the houses that we rent. We're renting. So we are so much more susceptible to these increases than maybe yourself, for example, where you've got a house paid off. So you don't need to deal with any fluctuations. Yeah, right. let's, go, let's go there. Let's break this one down. I feel like because it's so easy to get lost in the weeds of inflation and uh, you and I understand it quite well so we can jump. But I want to make sure we explain this really well because this one concept can change things for you. So inflation is actually personalized. Yep. It is. And it can change not only from the same items but also lifestyle inflation as you change things. Again, I'll use, it, I'll use a couple of examples here. Um, if you buy a bigger house because you've become more successful, it's got to cost more to heat and cool that house. Correct. Your rates might cost more because you live in a better area now or a more expensive area. It may not be better. Um, another one, this is a personal one. I bought a Nissan Patrol, a big four-wheel drive. Used 14 litres of petrol <laughs> per 100 Ks. 14. Um, I uh, no longer actually have that vehicle. I, it was just too big to deal with. But when we swapped to a Volkswagen Tiguan, it uses seven litres, again, to drive those same kilometres. So by the choices you make, your inflation number and your subjectivity to that, personalised can make a huge one. Grant, your example is a huge one. I bought my house maybe 10 years ago now. Um, that mortgage payment has stayed relatively the same. But if someone was to rent, I've rented this house, the rent would have gone up a little bit every year. Yeah. Uh, I realise not every, but you know, if in this example, I think it helped paints a picture. So there's all these things you can do to adjust your personal inflation to have, I suppose, inflation affecting you negatively less, right? It's to take some of your own inflation rate out of the system, uh, which is a very, very cool concept people can work with. And it's just that awareness, right? It's, you can't change it, but just being aware of it as a concept is one of the key elements to it. But one of the big things that I took away from George Antone's book was like we're talking about how inflation works against you from like an increasing expenses and stuff like that. What I'm going to let you describe the how can inflation work for you? Because like everyone looks at it like, ah, no, it can't. It's just everything goes up and it becomes more expensive. But no, that's a concept that isn't true. Like it can actually work for you. Do you want to walk us through this? Yeah, I will. So, um, in general terms, inflation happens every year. And in this example, we're going to pretend inflation is 10%. Okay, so we're going to go with that. The idea is we're going to pretend every year, whatever we're doing goes up 10%. Now, when we use debt, what we're doing is we're borrowing an amount of money today in the agreement to pay it off later. So, for example, if you borrowed $100,000 today and inflation is working for you every year, that $100,000 you've borrowed is getting inflated away at 10%. So let's use an example here to articulate this. My nan who bought her house for $9,000. Okay, $9,000. Right, I look at this and she said at the time, she's like, this was expensive. We were outraged. We were like, and, and then you look at it today and go, well, how easy would it be to pay off a $9,000 house today? Yep. That's inflation. So the same concept here is that if you are using uh, debt on a property in this example, you can use it in other things. This is all debt. You could have leverage on shares or other things. Is that over time, if inflation is working for you, it's actually devaluing the money that is assigned there. So for example, let's say you buy a house for 100 grand, you've got 80 grand of debt, and you put in a 20% deposit and it's uh, $20,000. Every year, that $80,000 of debt would be depreciating at 10%, making it easier and easier to pay off over time against the value of that money. And so, it's a super powerful. 
right? It's excluding you paying it down yourself anyway, like using your income to pay it down. Like that is just inflation working for you. Yeah, so this is where Robert Kiyosaki, I feel, hasn't necessarily articulated that side of it well. Like he's all about use debt and leverage and people kind of get that of using other people's money and it sounds fantastic. But when you understand the deeper mechanics of getting uh, debt to work for you in this example so that you can offset inflation in a big way and have it working for you can make a big difference. So I look at this right now and I'll use my own example here and I won't. I know we've got other points to cover so I won't harp on. But if I've got uh, personal inflation happening over here on my living costs, but then I've got substantial amount of inflation working for me on uh, leverage from investments I have, well, then it's countering each other in a really huge way. Yep. So the more inflation goes up, the better off I can generally do, which isn't true for everyone, right? Most people lose out of inflation. It's only working against them. They haven't necessarily been exposed to the idea of how it could work for them or they're unawarely having it work for them. Yeah. And this is, uh, last point I'll say, this is again, why I said at the start of this episode, is I've never had a property person or a mortgage broker or any professional explain that to me despite it being a key value point that would be hugely beneficial for someone to know before they're making decisions rather than just being scared of debt. And that and that's exactly right. And it just comes down to simplifying these concepts. And you touched on concept number two, which is one of my favorites, leverage, right? So, the way that I look at leverage is imagine I go to buy a house for $100,000, right? The only way I can buy that house with zero leverage is $100,000, right? Another way that we know that we can buy a house is through debt, which is just leverage, right? So, I could potentially put a 20% deposit down, now excluding costs of stamp duty and all those kind Keep of things. Keep it simple for this. There is, so, of course. Yeah, so I could go put 20% deposit down and then the bank will say, here is $80,000 loan and now I can buy that $100,000 house, right? So, that is like the concept of using leverage for debt, which you kind of touched on uh, in your previous example, just so people can understand this concept of, okay, well, what do you mean by leverage? Now, if you think about leverage on assets that you purchase – and use your inflation concept of, okay, well, time, cost of money over time decreases, etc. You can actually use this significantly to your advantage, right? Because if I bought, uh, for example, a house for $100,000 of cash and it goes up on a year, maybe 10%, we'll say, versus putting $20,000 down and buying the same house and it going up a 10% as well, I actually get the 10% in both scenarios, but in one scenario, I've put down significantly less, but the other scenario, I've put down significantly more. And understanding this concept of leverage and the difference between what that means is, is such a core concept because of how much it can change over a period of time. And I think that I, I just, I don't think, I think people understand debt, but not the concept of the leverage that they can get from it against the returns. All right. So here's the example that got me over the line, right? Here's the one for me. Uh, again, I admire a lot of Facebook groups and someone was doing a uh, comparison between shares and property. And again, you, you can definitely use leverage in property. I'm in shares as well, but I'm not going to touch on that for now. Let's pretend you buy a million dollars worth of shares and you, all right, you've got that in one camp. And then in the other camp, you take that million dollars, but you use that to be a 20% deposit on a $5 million property or five properties, $5 million properties here. Now let's pretend all the markets go up about 10%, which they're roughly correlated. 
Now, with the shares, you've made $100,000. With the property, you've made $500,000. Now, that's on the same returns. Yep. Now, I looked at that and I said, that's, uh, you know, obviously like a huge multiple of difference there. And I was like, that's a really big thing. But the one that made the biggest difference in my understanding is thinking about it the other way. So my property portfolio only has to get a 3% return to beat the share portfolio um, getting a 10% return. So again, it's a really interesting concept is to understand what a role uh, leverage can make here, specifically the tool of debt. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but you can definitely get too excited with that as well. It's not all about how much leverage you can get or how much debt you can use. It's just a tool in the tool belt. And you know what's interesting? <laughs> when someone explained this to me, I'm like, nah, BS. <laughs> so I actually built a spreadsheet <laughs> that's like, what would it look like if I had debt on a property and bought multiple properties? What if I bought it pure cash up front? What if I bought ETFs and all these things? And I actually calculated it because I'm like, no, there's got to be hidden costs in the payback of the loan, all these things. Nope. Yep. It's true. <laughs> I, I did all the calculations to, because I didn't believe it at the start. I'm like, how can you, how can this happen? Like you got debt, you got to pay down your debt. Like that, that maths logically didn't make sense. But then on paper and actually building out a huge spreadsheet, I'm like, it's true. Literally your 3% is like beats out the 10% on like $100,000 or a million dollars in shares. Yeah. I just want to put in some real numbers here. So on average in Australia for the last 30 years, property has annually done 6% and the share market has done 9%. So there is a difference uh, in reality, I will say. There's absolutely uh, different expenses that come with property and stamp duty and a whole bunch of things as well. I don't want to neglect them, but I want to say that the idea is compounded over time, those expenses seem pretty negligible. Like it's barely worth mentioning if you are looking over a 30-year period because if you're getting um, substantially more gains every year and compounding that, um, it makes a massive difference against the unleveraged side. And I kind of get it, right? It's like, uh, Rob, again, Robert Kiyosaki is the key one on the debt bandwagon, but he bangs on about you can't save your way to wealth. And yeah. this is the concept that he's trying to explain is that if you're trying to save a million dollars to buy a house versus only saving $200,000, in the mechanisms that exist, it's very hard to keep up with that. Like debt is a very powerful tool. And you actually hit on concept number three, which is time, <laughs> which I I love time. And there's there's a couple of different concepts of time that I, that I love. Like obviously the very first one is like utilizing the time for like compounding interest, right? So your Nana bought a house, $9,000. Now it's probably worth about 1.5 million. That is obviously component as we touched on is the inflation right the dollar's just not worth the same as it used to be but also you've got the compounding interest things over time continue to grow and as Albert Einstein said the most powerful force in the universe is compounding interest right and so looking at time of going okay well when am I getting into the market and how long has an asset sat in the market and what is that interest that I'm getting over a period of time I think it is I look at this as one of the greatest sort of benefits that people need to be aware of and concepts for them to be aware of based on them personally, because this would fundamentally change my way that I was investing if I was 20 compared to now when I'm in my 30s, compared to if I was getting into it in my 40s or my 50s, right? Like I would just by understanding the concept of time as to what I have left based on when I'm going to retire or otherwise, which I probably would never do, 
just knowing that changes the strategy that I would deploy immensely. Like, I think just the concept itself is just that, right? So maybe I might load more up on debt if I was in my 20s compared to if I was in my 50s. I wouldn't. I'd be looking for more cash flow where maybe in my 20s I might be looking for more growth or otherwise. Just understanding that concept of, well, what does it look like over a period of time and factor in inflation, factor in debt and all those kind of things. I I just think it is one of those concepts that people don't factor in enough. They look at it today as opposed to what about into the future. Yeah, I saw this interesting um, chart that I think really uh, drives that point home as well, which is, again, a huge component of it, is that if you invest a dollar when you're 20 at 65, it's worth, I think, roughly, uh, please, we'll have to check this maths, it's worth something crazy like uh, $33. Like, it it becomes $33 at 65. But if you invest that same dollar at 50 and it goes into 65, it's only worth like 7 so I think that's the maths, but we'll have to have to check that from there. The the concept still stands true is that a dollar invested earlier um, versus later has a massive, massive uh, reflection here. But I like to think about this in a different way. I like to, much like inflation, think is the time working for me or against me. Yep. So if I'm getting up every day and having to work to earn money, that's actually time working against me. That's just trading hours for dollars and I have to get up tomorrow and do the same thing. Where if time's working for me, if I wake up that same day, regardless if I do anything or not, am I, in this example, becoming wealthier? Are things compounding in my favor, layering these points together? I really think is a core concept. And it's so, so critical. And I hope by now people are starting to understand that these concepts layer into each other. I hope they're starting to see that you can use multiple of these and all of these to get an exponentially better result. Correct. And like your personal situation from time is very different to my personal situation. You have a family, I don't, etc. Right. So it's very personalized to everybody and you just need to understand it for yourself. So I'm, I'm going to let you jump into concept number four. All right. Tax. <laughs> so walk us through tax and structures and things like that because this can be get super deep, but we want to obviously keep it simple for everybody. Uh, so you're referring to that donation I give to our government every month for them to run our country uh, semi-good. There's a reason I got you to start it, right? Because I'm not going to say those comments. <laughs> I, I like the framing I've heard this multiple times is that the tax office is your most expensive business partner, right? Yeah. They, re- they really are. And like this is someone you're going to have a relationship with uh, for the duration that you're earning in Australia. You really, really are. It's a very, very powerful thing. Also, I think this is one of the most uh, misunderstood topics as well. People just tend to have a very much of like avoid tax. I should be trying to pay the minimum tax. That's not true at all. Um, yeah. But I am going to go over some things here. I know someone personally who had built a company with uh, business partners and bought things in that company but had not set the company up properly or put the right structures in place. They worked their asses off for years and then sold the company and because they didn't set the structures up and didn't understand the mechanisms of tax, when they sold it, their tax rate was 50%. Now, we're going to say this, and I'm not, this is very close to the number. The number was $10 million they sold for. Okay. So you can imagine this is 50% tax bracket now, $5 million in tax they've got to pay. If they had strategically known they were going to uh, go this route at some point and set things up accordingly, they could have got a 30% tax rate which would have only been $3 million. So we're talking about the difference of $2 million in their pockets here by not understanding tax. Now, if you go into the world of buying and selling shares 
or buying and selling property or even crypto or any asset stuff, how you're set up and structured uh, plays a huge role in the tax you will pay massively. So misunderstanding this, you can have a terrible end game that wipes out years of effort in not understanding these concepts. But we were talking a little bit before about this. You made a, a really interesting point that I'd love you to chime in on here, Grant, about um, reasons why you would want to pay more tax. Yeah, so th- there's interesting view because to your point, like a, a lot of people go, I just want to pay less tax, less tax, less tax. And similar to some points that we've mentioned before, I'm like, well, how can tax work for me, right? And so, one of the greatest parts is debt. So, I know that if I pay more pay-as-you-go tax, which is the tax that I pay on my salary that I give myself each month, etc., then the bank's going to look at me and go, I'm willing to lend you more money, right? Which means that now I've got tax working for me. So, if I do everything that I possibly can to take money out and not pay tax and do all of those things, well, the amount of money that I can borrow decreases, which now I'm starting to sort of rob Peter to pay Paul. (laughs) But now the overarching strategy for me with our wealth creation is going to be impacted because I'm like, well, now I'm playing my game not to lose, right? As opposed to playing my game to win. So to break that down by paying yourself a higher salary, yes, you're going to pay more tax, maybe even go up a tax bracket. But in the eyes of the banks, this would actually open you up to buy a property or access debt or use it for shares. I'm not going to go strategically here that you have to be property. I know we've mentioned it quite a few times. I know people that use debt in the share market effectively. It can definitely yep. be done or crypto, but I think it's just an easy example for this conversation being we both do property related stuff. Yeah, 100%. But I also look at superannuation as a form of tax to an extent, right? Now, I can choose to load up my superannuation, which is which is before tax dollars, right? I can go and contribute them. Um, like what is it, 10% at the moment, uh, as a way for me to go, okay, well, I want to invest through superannuation. But also through the structure that I've got now in my business, I can choose not to. I can just pay myself through a distribution and use that money that I would have otherwise put into superannuation into building my own assets because um, I might think that I can invest better than my fund can invest or if I've got an SMSF or something like that, right? So there are different ways for you to utilize tax and the structures around tax and just understanding them will allow you to play this game of wealth like in a better, more strategic way. And the interesting point was, I reckon I would have been 20 at this. So, I started out my my whole business journey as a sole trader. And then I got a new accountant. And he's like, you need a company. So, I'm like, great, I'm all in on a company. And then the business started making more money. And I went to a different accountant who started pulling his hair out going, what? You don't have a trust sitting behind the company? Oh, man, we're, we're done. Like, this is, you can't not, right? And so, then we started picking this to pieces because of the journey that he understood that I needed to go on as a business owner. I'm like, this is where I want to get to. And he's like, yeah, this structure is not going to support you for it. Mm, it's funny you mentioned the whole superannuation thing as well. Uh, again, it's like I, I had notoriously been someone who uh, dislikes contributing my super, and then uh, I had a guy uh, say to me, I was on a call and he's like, it's like, it's pretty simple, right? It's like, you think of it like this. If you take the money out of your business, you're going to get taxed at 30%. If you put the money in a super, you're only going to pay 17% tax. Yeah, it's, it's free money because you can't access for a long time, but that difference is free money. And I was like, <sighs> different games. 
different games, <laughs> different games. And I was like, uh, but it made me think about it differently, right? It's like you can use tax and structures and a whole bunch of things here to play a very, very different game if you understand these concepts. And the, and the real key to understanding these concepts is having that team around you. And it's the perfect segue into concept number five, which is team. Do you want to walk us through, like, what do we mean by team, right? Like, I, there, I know there's me in team. There's not an I in team. But walk us through, like, team when it comes to wealth creation. Good topic. I'm even going to frame this in a different way. Is like, I would never run a business without a team. I would never not have people working within me so we can create a much better result. And I look to uh, the wealth game, which is the other business we all run, <laughs> and I go, you really want to have a good team in there as well? And when you don't, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. Like you really are. And I, I will accept, you know, some people like to DIY a lot of things in business and in wealth. But uh, my finding is when you get a good team around you, it can make a huge difference in results. Now, I mean, maybe we should just mention who we have on our teams here sure. briefly. Um, you go first. I'll let you, you chime in on this one. Yeah. So, some of the people that I have uh, working alongside me, and again, diff- slightly different to a business, right? We might have full-time employees in business. However, in team, like they're just service providers. So, uh, an accountant is key for myself. And as a matter of fact, I recently, uh, probably a couple of years ago, moved to a new accountant and that changed a whole heap for me because I now have personal tax for myself and my wife, uh, the businesses, as well as any structures and tax from property, et cetera, all going to the one accountant with the one outcome, which is like, hey, my, my wealth creation is what you need to focus hey, on. Could I pause you there? I know we're going to go through this, but it's like, are you telling me that the difference between having someone good on your team and not good on your team <laughs> makes a massive difference to your business, Grant? Literally the next sentence I was going to say. <laughs> it was like the comparison I was going to make was, it's like having an A player on as an employee versus like not an A player. Right? It's like, do I have to whip this person to do something or are they running towards a carrot? And so mm. now- I have an accountant that's like, he pings me and emails me, calls me and says, this is what we're going to do differently. And I go, great. (laughs) It's not me whipping him going, what are we missing? What are we missing? What are we missing? And I'm just going to say, get someone with experience. It's (sighs) like someone who's good at business compliance or even business accounting may not be the person you use for the wealth side of things. It is a different understanding and skill set. It really is. Find someone good or even, uh, again, I'm, I'm sure at some point, I know we're bringing our accountant on, uh, soon, so you'll get to see who we use and communicate with him at a point if appropriate as well. Yeah, and having the for me the big change was having someone that saw it as one big like consortium, if you will, of entities, and going, well, how do I move all of this together? As opposed to the previous account, which was we've submitted BAS, we have done your group certificate, we have Ta- done your tactical focused, tactical focused. Yeah. This is compliance, and like. This is not where I'm going. Like, I feel, I remember that conversation very distinctly with him. Uh, another one that I've got, which is literally on call, is mortgage broker. Uh, why? Because I do buy properties quite regularly and I, I actively refinance. I actively look at how can I utilize the properties, et cetera. Um, so, I don't go and look for, well, how do I use a, a mortgage broker in all these different areas? The mortgage broker, again, he talks to my accountant. He knows where I'm going. <laughs> He gets the greater picture. He's like, okay, well, now I understand your 10, 20, 30-year plan. This is what we're going to do today. It might hurt a little bit more, but in the long term, this is going to be a really good win. Um, so, having a mortgage broker that aligns to the strategy, but also they email each other, the account and the mortgage broker. I think it's fantastic. I just get CC'd in. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the point about the team communicating momentarily because that is a common theme with your team. But I just want to mention on brokers 
is like there's different brokers. Oh. So if your wealth strategy is around commercial property, you'll need a, uh, potentially a different broker for, who specializes in commercial. If you're going to be in the share market, you may want access to things like margin and yep. having an appropriate banking relationship or ability to get that may be a one to do here. Uh, there's varieties here depending on what type of game you're playing. If you're in the crypto space, believe it or not, there's crypto lenders out there. You may use, uh, again, I'm not going to recommend one. I can't vouch for any of these at this point, but I know there's some like Anchor Protocol out there, um, which are, will enable you to lend against funds and things like that as well, which is a very exciting space that we'll get to discuss at some point. Yeah. And to that point, like, so I, I look at the next stage. So obviously my mortgage broker is all about leverage as well as my account is all about leverage. The next part is that when I do look at properties, because the business takes up quite a bit of my time and that's what I want to focus in on. How can I get someone to help me find the best properties that align to my overarching strategy? And so I also have a buyer's agent that when I'm ready to pull a trigger on a property, I contact them, tell them what, like, this is what I'm looking for and they go out and look for it, which is perfect for me because I don't need to buy something today. They will go out and look for the best deal, whether it's tomorrow, next week, two months, whatever. I just say this is the parameters I'm looking for for my investment and they will proactively go out and look for it and they will track 150 plus metrics that I would not track, right? Or I just don't have the time to uh, put together and, and evaluate and bring me these opportunities. So, I'm using the leverage of their time for picking the properties that align to my wealth strategy as well. I still can't believe anyone who runs a business or uh, even who has a, a very big job, right? Even if you're employed and you have a, I don't know, a high stress or high responsibility job, may not be stressful, but you've got a lot of time invested there. How would you ever pick a property well? Like I, I look at it and the time and awesome. effort, right? So you want to imagine there's me who's running a business who's looking at property in my spare time versus a buyer's agent who does this all day, every day, does research, pays for extra data I don't have, buys it for other people, has a track record, like why I would pick a property or investment specifically for myself. Yes, I'm going to approve it and review it and check their thinking. Don't get me wrong, but I just think that is like uh, the definition of insanity. I think you put your risk through the roof. It's like uh, they say that most uh, people uh, who stock pick themselves uh, end up losing their money. It's like 90% of people lose money, something crazy. Have you? I can see why. (laughs) <laughs> you see where they they compare like the the professional stock pickers against like the monkeys and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like this random monkey like picking stocks and like they beat the pros. <laughs> and it's like what? How does this work? And it, but the same goes with crypto, right? Like how can you make a decision where there's thousands of cryptos and there's tens of thousands of stocks you could invest in when you're working in a business and you're spending like these hours here and there going, ah, oh, like what's going to be the next best thing for me, right? Having those professionals, whether it's property or not to guide you on that i just i just find that like it, nothing compares to it yeah i i have of the view and opinion that it's like i want to have the best people on my team so i can get a great result i'm not particularly a diy type guy i'm not yep. going to go compare loans for mortgage brokers you know or work out the best deal i want to use a professional i'm not going to pick property i'm not going to do the accounts like it's something where i want to get the best person not um feel like everyone's trying to scam me and i need to do it all myself yeah, and then probably the last person that I that I it's not too much related to a concept, but it's more like the risk mitigation is I have a lawyer, 
So, I, I very rarely call on him and when I do it's something super important or to get him to look through a contract or just get him to dot the I's, cross the T's on something I'm doing, whether it's uh, wealth related like property or otherwise or even business related. I just find it f- having someone who I can just call and I know they're just going to look over something, it just relieves me of this strain this pain and pressure and stress. I'm just like, oh, that's just that's my risk mitigation right there. <laughs> oh, I'm going to chuck a couple in here. Just remember, a conveyancer is a lawyer. Yeah. So a conveyancer for property, if you're going to do property, like that's, I think, an important team member. I'd also say for your trusts, like you've got to have uh, some legals on your trust and you want to make sure they're done. So you may need a, a lawyer of that type as well, just to be specific, um, I think is a few. And I'll mention one more here that's probably more specific to property stuff is property managers. Mm. Like they're definitely on the team as well and a vital part of making sure the properties are looked after in the right way. Yeah, definitely. Do you, is there anyone sort of sitting on your team? Like there's uh, there's a plethora more, but is there anyone that you see as like really core to your success? Yeah, personally, I also have um, a bookkeeper. Like yeah. I keep very strong records of my business, but also my wealth stuff. So I think having someone on your team who can put together your monthly books for all your stuff and ideally give you some sort of dashboard or visualization of like how you're doing month to month, just like your business. Like I want a P&L. I want to know how we're doing all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of having that on the team as well because I like to see the progress along the way. Um, I will add a, an unusual one into this as well though, something that I think has been tremendous that I'll put in the team bucket, just being around more people who are playing this game. Yeah, It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, before I bought an investment property, I was kind of like nervous and scared. And then when I started hanging around people that had bigger portfolios, I was like, this guy's got 10. This guy's got 20. I'm like, I've got one. Maybe I'm not that on, you know, like, am I really risking much here? Like, Maybe just, now I'm the odd one out. <laughs> completely. And I, I also learn a lot from it. So like yeah. uh, when you do deals and share information with me and I am very fortunate to get to speak with you about it, ask why you did it, how it's going, what are the results are. It helps me as well, like in a huge way. And I hope it helps you um, when I share my stuff, although you might be like, Definitely. I'm sick of these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that you and I are talking to each other quite late and quite early in the morning about these particular things because it's like it's like egging each other up. Like I want you to thrive and be thoroughly successful as you do for myself and having those people in your network that literally want you to thrive where they're like egging you on. Like I had a mate of mine sit on the couch, what has it been, about a week ago and he's like, I live through your successes. Tell me what else is going on. <laughs> And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, literally, he's just, he's egging me on. He's like, well, how are you pushing to get more? Um, but then I see that as a challenge on how can I get him to go through this journey as well, which is another reason why Asset Blocks exists. And so, stepping directly into last concept before this becomes like a massive, massive episode, risk mitigation. Now, I'm from the world of enterprise project management and I've got a business that has a software all about this. And risk is like... One of the number one things. So, CEOs of billion-dollar companies focus on money in, money out, and risk. <laughs> right? So, risk is literally key. And so, risk is really these like uncertain events that could negatively impact a situation, right? And so, when we look at mitigating these, it's like, well, how do we reduce the chances of it happening? Or how do we reduce the impact of it happening? Or like, when it happens, how do I just reduce the impact? And just knowing this concept really can help you through your wealth creation journey, right? So, for myself, when I look at these things, I'm like, Charlie, do you have insurance on your houses? Do you have health insurance? Do you have, well, you're just now playing risk mitigation, 
right? You are now looking for things that have not happened yet, but you're trying to offset the, the chance that it might happen to the financial impact it will have on you, right? So health insurance, great. If you break your leg, now you know that hospital bills are covered, all those things are covered, but it's not like you're expecting to break your leg, right? And there's so many of these situations. Like, do you have any more? Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, the thing that stands out to me is like we are all mitigating risk at all times unawareingly. So it's like when's the last time you got in a car and didn't put a seatbelt on? Yeah. And now do you drive the speed limit when you're on the road? Like that's a risk mitigation. Do you have insurance? Great one you've used here. Um, have you got reserve capital for your business, right? I know for myself I would not be comfortable running a business on credit cards and not having reserves. I look at those things and going, they're forms of risk mitigation. As you go into the wealth game, what you want to do is have things in place so you don't get wiped out. Um, so you don't run it too close to the edge where you can potentially lose it all after putting a lot in. And uh, I, I am of the idea it's very important to make sure you're reviewing this regularly. And one of the biggest points that I look at from a risk mitigation standpoint, education. So literally listening to like a podcast like Asset Blocks, week on week on week helps you mitigate risk because we are trying to bring you stories that you and I have faced, situations that we've seen, education that we've brought, and we're bringing it to you. Same with reading books, same with listening to other podcasts, same with paying for advisors like your accountants, your buyers agents, all those th people that we've talked about. That again is like that ed educational play of bringing it in. And now you know more, you, you're now more aware of more risk. You go, oh, I didn't think about that, didn't think about that. And so, it's, it's been a huge episode and it's been a jam-packed. So, what we're going to do is we're going to summarize all of this, put it up on assetblocks.com.au. If you click on the free resources link, you can get access to this episode's content as well as a whole heap of other tools, checklists, etc. that we use. And if you did enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe, but also share it with anyone else that you know who's going through a similar journey and would relate to the stories that we have shared today. So thank you again for joining and we look forward to having you on the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.